And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is September the 6th. 249th day of the year. 116 days remain to the year is over with. And we've got uh, talk of COVID restrictions coming back, so it's running up to the election, and the Democrats need to take a firm hand if they're going to steal another election. And I'm a registered Democrat. Well, in the year 394 A.D., the of Frigidus, the Roman Emperor, Theodosius I defeats and kills Eugenius, the usurper. His Frankish magister Militum Arbogast escaped but committed suicide two days later. On this date in 1492, Columbus, Christopher Columbus sailed from Logomera in the Canary Islands, his final port of call before crossing the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. 1522, the Victoria returns to San Lucar de Baramida in Spain, the only surviving ship of uh, Ferdinand Magellan's expedition and the first known ship to circumnavigate the world. 1620, the Pilgrims sail from Plymouth, England on the Mayflower, financed partially by my family to settle in North America. I don't know we ever got repaid for that. 1628, Puritan settled Salem, which became part of Massachusetts Bay Colony. 1634, Thirty Years' War, and the Battle of Nordlingen, Catholic Imperial Army defeats Swedish and German Protestant forces. 1642, England's Long Parliament bans public stage plays. They're evil, don't you know? 1781, American Revolutionary War. Battle of Wilton Heights takes place, resulting in a British victory. 1803, British scientist John Dalton begins using symbols to represent the atoms of different elements. Basically, we got the periodic table. 1861, American Civil War. Forces under Union General Ulysses S. Grant bloodlessly captures Paducah, Kentucky giving the Union control of the Tennessee River's mouth. 1863, American Civil War. Confederate forces evacuate Battery Wagner and Morris Island in South Carolina. 1870, Louisa Ann Swain of Laramie, Wyoming, becomes the first woman in the U.S. to cast a vote legally after 1885, Eastern Rumelia declares its union with Bulgaria. This accomplished the Bulgarian unification. 1901, Leon Gazogos, an employed anarchist, shoots and fatally wounds President McKinley at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. Not a lot of jobs for anarchists. 1914, World War I, First Battle of the Marne, which would halt the Imperial German Army's advance into France, begins on this date. 1930, democratically elected Argentine President Hippolito Rigoyen is deposed in a military coup. 1936, Spanish Civil War. The Provincial Council of Asturias and Leon is established. 1939, World War II, the British Royal Air Force suffers its first fighter pilot casualty of the Second World War at the Battle of Barking Creek. And wouldn't you know what happened as a result of friendly fire? Well, my attitude is if you're shooting at me, you're not friendly. 1939, World War II, South Africa declares war on Germany. 1940, King Carol II of Romania abdicates and is succeeded by his son Michael. General Ion Antonescu becomes the conducator of Romania, basically the strong man. 1943, Monterey Institute of Technology is founded in Monterey, Mexico. It's one of the largest, most influential private universities in Latin America. 
1943 also saw Pennsylvania Railroad's premier train derail at Frankfurt Junction in Philadelphia, killed 79 and injured 117 or more. 1944, World War II, the city of Ypres, Belgium, was liberated by Allied forces. Also in 44, World War II, Soviet forces captured the city of Tartu in Estonia. 1946, U.S. United States Secretary of State James Burns announces that the U.S. will follow a policy of economic reconstruction in post-war Germany. Hence came the Marshall Plan. 1952, a prototype aircraft crashes at the Farnborough Air Show in Hampshire, England. Kills 29 spectators and two on the, the plane. 1955, Istanbul's Greek, Jewish, and Armenian minorities are the target of a government-sponsored pogrom. Dozens are killed in the ensuing riots. 1962, the U.S. government begins the exercise Spade Fort nuclear readiness drill. It was a plan developed by the U.S. in the 50s to guide the federal government in the immediate aftermath of a catastrophic nuclear attack. Plan D minus was part of the National Plan for Emergency Preparedness, which also included Mobilization Plan C, which provided direction for federal planning in the three weeks prior to a global nuclear war. Problem is, you just didn't know if you're going to have enough warning. Also in '62, archaeologist Peter Marsden discovers the first of the Blackfriars ships dating back to the second century A.D. in the Blackfriars area of the banks of the River Thames in London. For those not familiar with the Blackfriars ships, there were a series of wrecks discovered by archaeologist Paul Marsden. Uh, the wrecks were discovered by building a riverside embankment wall along the River Thames. Discovered the first one on September 6th. 1962, and the next two were discovered in 1970. Later discovery added uh, to the previous three lakes, constituting uh, what's now known as the four Black Friar wrecks. 1965, India retaliates following Pakistan's Operation Grand Slam. It resulted in the Indo-Pakistani War of eight, uh, 1965 that ends in a Stalemate, followed by the signing of the Tashkent Declaration. 1966, Prime Minister Hendrik Verrod, architect of apartheid, is stabbed to death in Cape Town, South Africa, during a parliamentary meeting. 1968, Swaziland becomes independent. 1972, passenger jets bound from Europe to New York are simultaneously hijacked by Palestinian terrorist members of the PFLP and taken to Dawson Field in Jordan. 1971, Penn International Flight 112 crashes on the Bundesautobahn 7 highway near Hamburg Airport in Hamburg, Germany. 22 people were killed. 1972, Munich Massacre. Nine Israeli athletes die along with a German policeman in the hands of the Palestinian Black September terrorist group after being taken hostage at the uh, Munich Olympic Games. Two other Israeli athletes were killed in the uh, initial attack the day before. 1976, Cold War. Soviet Air Defense Forces uh, pilot uh, Viktor Belinko lands a Nikolian Gurevich MiG-25 jet fighter at uh, Hakodate in Japan and requests political asylum in the U.S. His request, as you might guess, was granted. 1983, the Soviet Union missed a shooting down Korean Airlines Flight 007, stating its operatives didn't know it was a civilian aircraft when it reportedly violated Soviet airspace. Since there were a couple of elected officials on board, I suspect they didn't know exactly who they were shooting down. 1985, Midwest Express Airlines Flight 105 crashes near Milwaukee Mitchell International Airport in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Killed all 31 people on board. 1986, an incident in Bull, two terrorists from Abu Nawal's organization kills 22 and wounds six congregants inside the Neve Shalom Synagogue during Shabbat services. 1991, the Soviet Union recognizes the independence of the Baltic states Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. 
Also in 91, the Russian Parliament approves the name change of Leningrad back to St. Petersburg. Change is effective October the 1st of that year. 1995, Cal Ripton Jr. the Baltimore Orioles plays in his 2,131st consecutive game, breaking a record it had stood for 56 years. 1997, the funeral of Diana, Princess of Wales, takes place in London. Over a million people lined the streets and two and a half billion watched around the world on TV. Charles wanted to make it a pay-per-view, but they couldn't get it worked out. 2003, Mahmoud Abbas resigns from his position of Palestinian Prime Minister. 2007, Israel executes the airstrike Operation Orchard to destroy a nuclear reactor in Syria. 2009, the Roro Ferry Super Ferry 9 seeks off the Zamboanaga Peninsula in the Philippines with 971 people on board. All but 10 are rescued. 2012, 61 people die after a fishing boat capsizes off the Izmir province coast of Turkey near the Greek Aegean Islands. 2013, 41 elephants are poisoned with cyanide and salt pans by poachers in Hawang National Park. 2018, Supreme Court of India decriminalized all consensual sex among adults in private, making homosexuality legal on the Indian lands. 2022, Boris Johnson resigns as Prime Minister of the UK and is replaced by Liz Truss. And in 2022, Russia-Ukrainian war, Ukraine begins its Kharkiv counteroffensive, surprising Russian forces retaking over 3,000 square kilometers of land, recapturing the entire Kharkiv Oblast west of the Oskil River within the next week. Well, it's interesting to note that you all love weird stuff. The emails I've gotten about the stories I did about the uh, the Hollywood deaths. I've been asked to uh, talk about any haunted houses that anybody may have brought up. And I do have a few. Let's talk about uh, the Sharon Tate house. Which had been built by Paul Byrne. Gene uh, Harlow's husband and actually owned by Jay Sebring tucked into a very tight canyon at the base of a steep hill it's a Bavarian style cottage it looks like it ought to really belong in a fairy tale it's got a sloping slate roof dark wooden crisscrossing accents honeycomb pattern window panes and fairly good-sized swimming pool that, uh, by all accounts, has been routinely neglected by most of the owners. Facing the pool, carved into support beams that hold up the back of the house, are gargoyle faces of four long-dead movie stars from the golden age of Hollywood. Well, the builder of this unique property was actually Paul Byrne, an MGM studio executive. He built it in the early 1930s and brought his new bride, Jean Harlow, to live there in 32. Four months later, on the night of September 5th, following an argument with his new wife, he went into the master bedroom, stripped naked, doused himself with her best perfume, and then shot himself. Uh, according to the book Bombshell, The Life and Death of Jean Harlow, uh, it was suggested that Harlow walked in on Byrne and his common-law wife, Dorothy Millett. Apparently he had a common-law wife before he met Jean. Harlow, uh, after the fireworks, if you might guess, took place, told him to call her when he decided he was going to be married to her, and then she left. And shortly after that, Millett left. <clears throat> now, according to all the stories, Byrne was actually physically unable to have sex with anybody due to a a genetic, a genetic defect that left him with a stunted penis. And I suppose that, along with everything else, might have been a reason to shoot yourself. And that's supposedly the reason he did kill himself. Now, house has changed hands many times after this tragedy. 
And later on, a man supposedly drowned in a swimming pool, and one of the maids killed herself in the house as well. Now, in the early 1960s, Jay Sebring, known as the hairstylist to the stars, bought the house, and Sharon Tate moved in it with him in 1965. She lived with Sebring for about a year, often staying alone at the cottage while he traveled on business. And according to what she had to say, she experienced... Uh, Something odd a few years after the while she was staying there by herself one night. She'd gone to bed in the upstairs master bedroom where Byrne had killed himself. Now this of course was over twenty years previously. Just falling asleep when she was suddenly awakened by a strange noise. She looked up and saw the figure of a creepy little man walk into the room. She said the man was short, naked, and had a mustache. He paid no attention to her, but began rifling through the dresser drawers looking for something. When she kept waiting for him to disappear, she felt certain it was the ghost of Paul Byrne, but he just kept searching the room. Well, since he wasn't paying attention to her, she got out of bed and took off down the hall, headed toward the hidden bar downstairs where she hoped she could hide till morning, but as she got to the landing of the stairs, she stopped. She saw a sight on that landing that disturbed her beyond belief. It was a person, she couldn't tell if it was male or female, tied to the banister, had a hood over its head with one end of a rope around its neck, and the other end looped over the banister. Now that's exactly how Jay Sebring's murdered body would be found four years later. At this uh, see little drive house with uh, after the Manson Killer's uh, slaughter fest in the August of 1969. So many have asked, did Sharon not only meet the ghost of Paul Byrne, but also experience a premonition of what was going to happen? Now, this isn't strictly a story about ghosts, per se, but it is a story about odd happenings. Now, the house is still there, and it's still gorgeous, but neglected. Uh, but there's, by all reports, an eerie vibe when you stand near the pool and look up at the darkened window, upstairs bedroom window. It's a, a sad house with a sad history, but uh, I suppose if I was forced to move to Hollywood, I wouldn't turn it down. Now, the next story does involve a house that I, at one point in time, tried to buy. And it's the, the home where... George Reeves met his fate. You remember him? It's Superman. Who's dead from what was supposed to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Played Superman on TV for eight years, from 1951 till 1959. And the circumstances surrounding his death have been debated almost as much as the death of Marilyn Monroe. He was involved with a older woman, wife of a studio executive. Her name was uh, Tony Mannix. And her husband was a Hollywood fixer. And Mannix and Reeves had just broken off their relationship. He was living in a large home in Benedict Canyon with his fiancée, Lenore Lemon. He was having financial problems. And he was frustrated over the fact that uh, he'd been typecast. All his career options revolved around continuing to play Superman. Evening of June 15, 1959, Reeves and Lemon had been drinking with friends at a restaurant. And, of course, got into an argument. Came back home and Reeves went to bed. Lemon was downstairs entertaining three uninvited guests who just dropped by. At one point, Reeves came downstairs and told him about to shut up and went back upstairs. And according to the story, it was shortly after that, at about two in the morning, that he supposedly shot himself in the head. Now, conspiracy theorists do insist that Reeves was murdered, and they point to a number of inconsistencies about the entry wound and the fact that Reeves couldn't use his right hand uh, due to an injury. 
and supposedly he shot himself with his right hand. And the position of the body and the fact of five other bullet holes found in the room also called into question the story told by Lemon and her friends. Well, a former inquiry was conducted, and the conclusion, of course, was suicide. Although Reeves' mother never accepted this uh, determination. Ghost stories soon followed. Subsequent owners and occupants reported hearing all sorts of strange noises in the upstairs bedroom when nobody was there. And they reported whenever they would investigate, the room looked like an angry whirlwind had torn through it. One tenant claimed that after hearing noises and fixing the room, they went down, downstairs and found their drinks moved from the living room into the kitchen. And dogs who came into the house would bark furiously at the threshold of the bedroom. That's something only they could see. And People reported smelling the distinct odor of gunpowder. And let me tell you from experience, it does have a distinctive odor. There were numerous reports of Reeves appearing and the tenants and their guests always dressed in his Superman outfit, leaving no doubt as to who he was. One television crew in the 80s, while using the house as a backdrop, claimed to have encountered Reeves. Several crew members saw his apparition hanging around the set. Most famous documented uh, paranormal occurrence happened when nobody was actually living there. Neighbors called the sheriff's department one night after hearing a loud argument going on at the house, followed by a scream and the sound of a gunshot. And they reported the lights were turning on and off. The house was unoccupied, and the neighbors thought somebody had broken in. Well, two sheriff's deputies responded, and they searched the house and found nothing out of the ordinary. Well, you know, if I'd had... The part of Superman, I'd have played it until I was too old to fly. But having begun his career in something as uh, well-known as Gone with the Wind, I guess George Reeves thought he was destined for bigger and better things. Well, from Superman, let's talk about uh, the house where Marilyn Monroe died. You know, just when folks couldn't get enough of her when she was alive. Her legions of fans, it is amazing they've grown exponentially over the years, refuses to allow her to rest in peace. Ghost sightings of this bombshell blonde are so numerous they border on the ridiculous. Many folks claim to have seen her in misform near her tomb at Pierce Brothers Memorial Park in Westwood. And her grave is a popular tourist site. Her tomb is usually littered with lipstick kisses. One fan even claimed to have photographed her misty image at the site. Others have felt what they described as tremendous sadness when paying their last respects at her grave site. Most famous sighting of Maryland's ghost occurred at the iconic Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. A maid was cleaning a mirror when she claimed to have seen the image of a blonde woman wearing an older style uh, clothing behind her. She decided this had to have been Marilyn Monroe. She spent time living at the Roosevelt and modeling there when she was younger. And that story's persisted ever since. And several other tourists have complained, well, not complained, but they've claimed to have seen her image in the same mirror, which now hangs in the lobby at the Roosevelt. And she's been seen lounging at the pool. Those who spot her uh, claim that she just vanishes when she realizes she's been seen. And her ghost still is rumored to still linger at her former home where she died. And since this is a private residence now, the story's hard to verify, though she's reportedly still haunting the bedroom where she's last seen alive. This house was once rented to uh, another well-known blonde bombshell, Anna Nicole Smith. Smith claimed to feel Monroe's presence when she lived at the house. So I guess you could say that even in death, Marilyn is still the center of attention. Now, from female actresses, let's talk about a, a male star. Heath Ledger. His sudden death is supposed to have shocked everybody. But it affected his loved ones the most. Michelle Williams, his girlfriend at the time, claims to have been visited by his spirit twice. The last time, she's woken up at 3 in the morning to the sound of furniture moving in her living room. 
She went down to investigate. Nothing was out of place, but she said she felt his presence. Second time, she was sleeping when she woke up and saw the outline of a man standing at the foot of her bed. She said she knew it was Heath, and he spoke to her telepathically, telling her he was sorry he wouldn't be there to help her raise her daughter. Well, the famous psychic medium, James Van Prog, said in an interview that he'd also seen Ledger. Though they never did meet when he was alive, he says Ledger's uh, image appeared in the reflection of his shaving mirror, and that the troubled actor told him that uh, it screwed up again. And again, he communicated with Van Prague telepathically. Van Prague claims his encounter occurred two weeks after uh, Ledger's death from an accidental overdose to prescription drugs. Now, one of the best-known haunted locations was torn down by a man I used to work for at one point in time. I'm talking about Pickfair. And once it was considered a magical place. Sublime testament to solid Hollywood decadence. Hollywood's king and queen, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks, transformed a modest hunting lodge into a magnificent four-story, 25-room mansion in the early 20s. Hell Cordo, they were over the lords and ladies of film for over 15 years. Well, in 1936, they divorced, and Mary continued to live there until she died in 1979. After that, Pickfair was vacant for some years. Rich doctor named Jerry Buss bought it and restored its former glory. All seemed happy and bright until, well, it was 1988. Singer Pia Zadora had her millionaire husband, Bashulam Rickless, uh, purchased the property for and their two kids to stay in while he was away on business. They lived there in less than two years before they had it torn down. Allegedly due to termites, but uh, in its place they built a new tasteless palazzo. They had the unimaginable gall to purchase a Hollywood icon, bulldoze it because they couldn't deal with a few termites. At least that's what Pia Zadora said at the time. Now, let me assure you, one time I met her, she was clearly not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But she was interesting to watch breathe. 24 hours later, much older, 24 years later, much older, less in demand, Pia Zadora went on the popular TV show Celebrity Ghost Stories and revealed to the world the real reason she and her husband tore down Pickfair. It was haunted. She said her daughter was frightened one night by a very tall woman in a long white gown floating above her bed and laughing. And that upset the child so badly that she refused to sleep in her room. And for Peter's door herself, she said it was too much to handle, so her solution was just tear the place down. And if you got a billion dollars, you can probably do that and never miss the money. Well, it would be easy to dismiss this if two other owners of the home had also reported seeing the same woman, including Mary's last husband, Charles Buddy Rogers. Rogers believed it was, of course, the spirit of Mary Pickford, which may be why he moved out shortly after Mary died. Jerry Buss, who bought it from Rogers, also claimed to see the woman in the flowing gown, as well as a number of other apparitions. Well, maybe... Mary loved Pickfair more than anybody realized. But is that really a good enough reason to tear down a historic home? It's haunted? Why not just move? Donate the place to a museum. But don't tear it down. Well, somebody you might not picture coming back as a ghost is the one and only Ozzie Nelson. Well, there was a catchphrase for one of the most popular family shows on TV. Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. Here come the Nelsons. So show featured a real-life family, Ozzie and Harriet Nelson and their two sons, David and Ricky. Exterior shots were filmed at their real-life residence in Beverly Hills, located at 1822 Camino 
Palmero Street, a house they bought in 1948. And though the show ended in 67, Ozzy and Harry continued to live there until Ozzy died from cancer in 1975. At that point, Harriet sold the residence and subsequent owners have reported having run-ins with Ozzy Nelson ever since. His apparitions often seen in the bedroom of the home or stalking the hallways. Witnesses report he doesn't look happy either. Seems melancholy or restless. One female witness claimed to have been the victim of unwanted sexual attention in the middle of the night. Well, she flipped on the lights. There was nobody there. Can you picture Ozzie Nelson, of all people, coming home like that? What would Harriet say? Well, others are reported hearing footsteps and faucets turning on and off and lights flickering for no reason. Maybe Ozzy just didn't want to leave his beloved home. And then, of course, with all the haunting going on, who else other than Lucille Ball needed to get in on the act? It seems everybody loved Lucy, especially the busload of tourists that drove by her home on Roxbury Drive and the flats of Beverly Hills several times a day all hoping to catch a glimpse of the queen of comedy, puttering in her garden or waving to her neighbor, Jimmy Stewart. Lucy lived on Knoxbury Drive for more than 20 years. By all accounts, she loved it there. Well, she died in 1989. But the current owners claim she still makes her presence known. That home has undergone extensive remodeling and barely resembles the house that Lucy loved so much, which might explain the Recurrent broken windows and loud voices coming from the attic and poltergeist activities of furniture moving and objects being moved. I've always been told that ghosts don't like change, and maybe Lucy's typical. Well, another individual, you'd be surprised if he didn't haunt something, Gerald Flynn. Well, if Lucille Ball was the queen of comedy, Errol Flynn was the king of hellraisers. His shameless, hedonistic lifestyle has been thoroughly chronicled in several biographies, including his own autobiography, My Wicked Wicky Ways. His notorious taste for extremely young women, some might say illegally young, got him into serious trouble when two underage girls accused him of snatching their virtue while they were on board his infamous floating pleasure palace, the Zaka. Well, Flynn managed to get out of that one and enjoyed many happy times aboard right up until he died in 1959. After that, the Zaka ended a period of decline, passing from owner to owner, finally ending up in a boatyard in uh, Villa Francaise in France. Locals began passing stories around that the ship was haunted. People heard sounds of gay parties, the tinkling of ice and tumblers, laughter, and the sounds of champagne bottles popping. Lights were seen burning brightly, and silhouettes of partygoers were seen moving past the portholes, even though the Zaka was empty and hadn't been hooked up with electricity for years. The ghost of Flynn himself was often seen pacing the deck, usually at dusk, smoking his pipe and gazing out at the horizon. Now, this unnerved the Zaka owners to such a degree that they contacted the Catholic Church, who recommended an exorcism. Well, rather than subject the yacht to such a ceremony, a replica of the ship was brought into a church, and the exorcism took place there. So it appears to have worked, because shortly after that, the yacht was bought, restored, and now sails the seas off the Mediterranean coast of Monaco as a private yacht that you can rent. Errol Flynn is probably still at the helm. Well, let's talk about a place that you know had to be haunted, and that's the Phantom of the Opera set. And there's a number of phantoms that like that set up on the Universal lot. Lon Chaney was known as the Man of a Thousand Faces, one of the biggest stars to ever come out of Universal Studios. And his premature death at the age of only 47 only heightened his fame and mystery. And his greatest performance was as a hideously deformed recluse living deep within the bowels of the Paris catacombs in the film The Phantom of the Opera. 
A specially constructed, elaborate set was built inside Stage 28 on the Universal Backlot to replicate the Baroque style of the Paris Opera House. That set took months to complete and was so expensive, the studio chose to keep it rather than break it up after the film was complete. And amazingly, in a town and industry known for brushing aside its heritage and embracing the fleeting allure of mediocrity, this beautiful set is still intact to this day on a universal lot. Set's creepy enough all by itself without the added ghost stories to add to the atmosphere. Intricately carved walls are two stories high, and the stage is massive, stretching 360 feet long by 145 feet wide. The huge chandelier that dominated the ceiling was an exact replica of the one that hung in the Paris Opera House. It was taken down in the 1960s, as were all the seats, but the, the skeleton remains, harboring dark nooks and shadowy corners. And movies are still made there, though infrequently. And those who worked inside, if you lucky enough to visit the soundstage, have heard the word about the strange goings-on inside. Unexplained noises are heard, as well as doors opening and closing of their own. Lights go on and off, and footsteps and voices are heard when the stage should be empty. For decades, people reported seeing the disturbing specter of a man in a black cape. He's described as appearing in the shadows, soundly observing before fading away. And more significantly, he's been observed running along the catwalks above the stage and then disappearing. Well, that description reads like a page from the 1925 Lon Chaney film, and there are those who claim the apparition is the spirit of the dead actor. Maybe Chaney was still filming his greatest cinematic triumph, unaware that almost a hundred years has passed. There's a story that sometimes energy from the past can be trapped and played over the, the present when conditions are just right. This is called a residual or non-intelligent haunting. Well, nobody's come forward to claim they've chatted to the Cape Man to confirm his identity, so it's left to speculation and conjecture as to what's actually going on. And it could just be the result of overacted imagination, but frankly, it's a lot more fun to believe that Lon Chaney in his phantom costume is wandering around the old soundstage keeping an eye on things. And... What would a story about haunted places in Hollywood be without Jane Mansfield and the haunting of the Pink Palace? Now, she was larger than life in many ways, which might explain why she simply refused to move on from her beloved custom Beverly Hills mansion on steroids masterpiece. Everybody called the Pink Palace. I mean, you've got to see this house to believe it. She purchased a traditional Spanish-style home with money she inherited from her grandfather. And then she proceeded to mutilate the interior in a kind of perverse tribute to her signature color, which, of course, was pink. Interior photos taken during the time she lived there reveal wall-to-wall pink carpet, a pink bathroom, a water fountain in the foyer that squirted pink champagne, pink wallpaper, and well, just anything you could think of was pink. Even a pink heart-shaped bathtub nestled in the pink shag carpet walls and floor of the master bedroom. After her death, the property changed hands, and rumors of her ghost appearing to subsequent owners began to trickle out. Engelbert Humperdinck, who purchased the house in 1976, claimed to have encountered Jane's ghost roaming the upstairs uh, rooms as if searching for something. He also said he smelled her rose perfume many times. Ringo Starr owned the house prior to Humperdinck tried to paint over all the pink, but for some reason the color would just keep seeping through. Even layers and layers of white paint wouldn't erase the pink. And Jane's second husband, Mickey Hargitay, claimed that Jane appeared to him in the mansion shortly after her death. Well, at that point he moved out, claiming the mansion died when Jane did. And in 2002, the house sold again, and the new owners did what a lot of rich people do in Hollywood. They tore down a piece of history and built an ordinary piece of crap in its place. No stories of it continuing to be haunted. Well, we've also got a name that has become synonymous with the Hollywood sign, Peg Whistle, and the haunting of the Hollywood sign. She came to Hollywood with stars in her eyes, left with the lights of that city reflected in them as she fell into oblivion, where she 
found what had eluded all her life. Lasting fame. Only person known to have used the iconic sign is a suicide prop, and people have talked about her ever since. Well, it was September 16th. It was a Friday. That afternoon, Peg hiked up rugged Mount Lee toward the sign, which at the time read Hollywood Land, and she was wearing heels and a skirt. By the time she reached it, night had fallen, and the lights must have been blinding. Using a service lighter, she climbed up on top of the H, stood with the lights of Hollywood below her, before she leapt to a rocky death in the Levine below. It's two days before anybody found her body. Well, ghost stories been to crop up almost immediately. The area around the sign was a popular place for hiking, and many people claimed of seeing the apparition of a young woman dressed in white, walking effortlessly up the hill. When she approached, she vanishes, leaving the scent of gardenias in the air. That was a perfume Peg was known to favor. Animals also behave strangely on the trail, sometimes refusing to go past a certain point. And motion detectors were put on the sign years ago to prevent vandalism. Park rangers claim that often the motion detectors are set off, but there's nothing there when they check, but they do smell the scent of gardenias. Well, the recent episode of the popular series Paranormal Witness, four people told of a harrowing encounter they had with this apparition when they were teenagers in the late 80s. They climbed up the mountain and felt triumphant at reaching the sign, and they all celebrated with hoots of joy. But on the way down, though, they encountered something that would haunt their nightmares for decades to come. They all said they saw her. She was slowly making her way up the path that were coming down. Didn't seem to be having any difficulty whatsoever, but she was hardly wearing appropriate hiking clothes, dressed in a skirt and high heels. As they got closer, one of them called out to the woman, but she didn't respond. And when she came within a few feet of where they stood, they recoiled in horror. Her face was a hideous skeletal blob. Well, as you might guess, they all went tearing down the mountain. One of them claims the apparition followed and he pursued him to the fence. Well, that seems to be the only truly frightening encounter of the ghost of the Hollywood sign that anybody knows about. Most people who have seen the ghost say she's shy, shy, not aggressive, and seems to be doomed to repeat her last desperate moments in life over and over again. Now, if you haven't seen it, the Hollywood sign is truly impressive. And if you're brave enough to hike up Mount Lee on a windless fall night by yourself, you might encounter something even more daunting. Well, you know, there was once a glamorous place where the rich and famous went to spend eternity. It's called the Hollywood Memorial Park. Backed right up to Paramount Studios. Just making a commute from work to death quite convenient for any of its notable occupants. Famous who are buried there are too numerous to list, but they include notorious Paramount Studio boss Harry Kahn and Rudolph Valentino and Cecil B. DeMille's, and the list just goes on and on and on. When Forrest Long Glendale reared his pretentious head in the 30s, poor Hollywood Memorial Park fell out of favor and it soon fell on hard times. Sprawling lawns, a serene pond became overgrown, neglected, and clogged with weeds. It took on the look of a rural cemetery rather than the impressive final resting place of some of the most famous stars in entertainment history. Long, echoing columbarium adorned with amazing stained glass roofs became dirty and shabby. Glass panels were broken and never replaced. Marble floor became chipped and cracked. Well, Cemetery continued to decline for the next several years till it was sold in the late 90s to Tyler Cassidy, who came from a prominent family of mortuary owners in St. Louis, and he was a lover of old Hollywood as well as an experienced funeral industry insider. His passion for both saved Hollywood Memorial Park from a terrible fate of complete obscurity, and he poured money into the park and restored it to its former glory. He renamed the newly restored cemetery Hollywood Forever, which has to be the coolest name for a cemetery anybody's come up with. 
Hollywood forever has earned a reputation for hosting some of the most famous ghosts throughout the years. Said Rudolph Valentino haunts his modest tomb, tucked away inside the beautiful cathedral mausoleum toward the back of the cemetery. For decades, a woman in black has appeared on the anniversary of Valentino's death, carrying one red rose which she lays next to the tomb. And over the years, many women have claimed to be the woman in black, but the original has no doubt been dead herself for many years. Many claim to have seen the specter of a woman in black kneeling at Valentino's tomb, and have been, they've even recorded them. People also claim to see red roses suddenly appear in a brass vase when there were once none a second before. One woman claimed that she turned and walked away from the tomb and turned back and saw red roses in every vase in the hallway where there had been none before. Other stories involved the distinct sound of 1920s music playing softly. Along the side of the cemetery is the impressive columbarium known as the Abbey of the Palms where famous director Victor Fleming is said to make his otherworldly appearance known. Many reported hearing the sound of hard-soled shoes echoing behind them as they strolled in this corridor lined with human remains from floor to ceiling. Several have had this experience when they first visited the cemetery when it was still in desperate need of saving. The columbarium was quite spooky back then, neglected and deserted, free of the thongs of tourists that visit it today. But those who wandered the corridors reported hearing the distinct sound of somebody with hard-soled shoes following them. Toward the center of the park lies the grave of Virginia Rapp, another actress who achieved her share of desire for fame only after her gruesome death. A little more than a bit player back in the 20s, but she developed quite the reputation as a woman of loose morals. Known as the ultimate party girl and frequent the same wild social events the stars did. Doing one of those gin-soaked, cocaine-dusted shindigs at San Francisco's St. Francis Hotel, hosted by Keystone Cops golden boy Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, she found herself suddenly dying from a mysterious ailment. Within days, she was dead, and rumors began to fly. Many of those rumors centered on Arbuckle, a champagne bottle, and an unnatural sex act. Arbuckle found himself smack dab in the center of a good old-fashioned Hollywood scandal. Witnesses claimed he and Virginia left the common area of the hotel suite and retired in a private bedchamber where Virginia would be found barely coherent and moaning in pain. Arbuckle claimed she got sick immediately after they entered the room and he put her in bed and rejoined the party. In all likelihood, the truth lies someplace in between. Arbuckle's put on trial for murder of Virginia Rapp three times, I might add. Two trials ended in hung juries, and the third time was truly the charm for the comedian. He was acquitted. Of course, by that point in time, his career was over, and he himself died alone and forgotten at the young age of 46. Well, from such epic tragedy are born the ghost stories. Many reported hearing the sounds of a woman weeping softly at Virginia's grave, and some have even seen an apparition of a woman in white, quietly sitting at the grave and sobbing. Hollywood Forever is welcoming and friendly to celebrity grave seekers. That's a rare thing in Hollywood, where being caught holding the wrong book is grounds for expulsion from many of the city's memorial parks. When I say wrong book, it might be a guide to where the famous rest and sweet repose. It's ironic a town so dependent on celebrities and their fans for its culture and economy would suddenly turn off the charm to those uh, same fans who want to remain loyal to the bitter end and pay their final respects. After all, as one macabre Hollywood death tour states, it's the closest they likely to get to their favorite stars, or frankly, any stars for that matter. Well, for a moment, regressing back to the Sharon Tate uh, killing. It's actually uh, affected the entire neighborhood. There have been no murders more gruesome or terrifying than those that occurred almost 50 years ago at uh, 10050 Celo Drive in Beverly Hills. The Tate murders, as they've become known, still haunt our collective consciousness and stalker nightmares. And is it any wonder, despite the original house being torn down and the passage of over 40 years, Sharon Tate's horrific end is 
not forgotten and tales of the rest of this dead still linger alone. Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecuting attorney in the murder trial and author of the best-selling book on the subject, Helter Skelter, wrote about an incident that occurred a few weeks before the murders when Tate was still in Hollywood, uh, London. Homicide detectives found a videotape of a casual dinner party at the house, including Abigail Folger, Rosa Ferkowski, and two of their friends. The couple were house-sitting for Sharon Tate, Roman Polanski. And nothing seemed out of ordinary on the tape except for the astonishing incident Abigail described having happened to Frakowski one night as they sat gazing into the living room fireplace, stoned out of their mind. He said he suddenly jumped up and grabbed a camera, looked really freaked out, and said he saw a flaming pig's head in the fire. You have to wonder what he might have been uh, indulging in at that point. Well, that house had many subsequent residents after that terrible day, None of, but nobody reported anything paranormal. Till recently when a man who bought land and built a house just down the road from the infamous address came forward with a spine-chilling tale of unexplained events in his home. His name was David Ullman. He'd been telling his story all over the media. He even made a movie about it called um, House at the End of the Drive. It came out in 2014. According to David, it started almost immediately after he moved in. Unexplained knocks on his front door, wine glasses flying off counters in front of dozens of witnesses. Even claimed to have woken up in the middle of the night by a male apparition standing in his bedroom. Later identified himself as Jay Sebring. One night, his friends gathered in the movie room. They all reported hearing strange, mournful voices coming from the intercom system. Voices were so clear that Oman thought there were intruders in the house, and he searched high and low. While he was upstairs, his friends said the voices moved from the intercom to inside the room with him. Witnesses claimed the voices sounded panic and distress, but they couldn't make out what was being said. So a seance was held at the house, and the mediums, while trying to contact the spirit of Sharon Tate, became incapacitated with abdominal pain as if they were being stabbed. Then all the lights went out, and the candle flame bent at a weird right-degree angle. Once the woman's chair was pulled back by unseen hands, and everybody heard a bone-chilling female scream. Well, Mr. Oman didn't know why his house, which was built long after the murders occurred, would be attracting the spirits from 1050 Zillow Drive, but he puts forth an interesting theory. He was on the, doing an interview with the sci-fi show Paranormal Witness. He said maybe these poor doomed souls didn't realize they were dead and were simply running to his house to get some help and escape their fate. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. Tomorrow we're going to talk about some unsolved mysteries of the ancient world. Till then, this is Ken Hutnell for the Ken Hutnell Show saying have a truly great evening.